Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday, late in the day, it's five something. I'm a little behind, but uh, I've had a crazy week and a crazy day, even though I shouldn't be, because it's the time of the year when I ought to be having a little bit of a break, but sometimes the rabbi business doesn't work that way. Um, I'm planning to do the Parsha today in memory of um, one of the uh, cousins of Zev Raiden, who tragically passed away, talk about it in a second, but I do want to give a shout out this morning. I went to uh, a nice bris, uh, Mayor Neuberger's. Uh, he and I belong to EZCI, right? The Eccentric Zany Chavrusa Institute Incorporated. <clears throat> Anyhow, um, this is his first grandchild, right? Uh, the Edelsteins. To Mazdov there. I guess his father, Yanki Neuberger also, who I go back with quite a long way. And Yankee's mother was my parents' shachan. <laughs> anyway, uh, mouth stuff there. Let me um, say that um, I wanted to do this. Um, this is Surfside. It's a bunch of just names. Nobody knows who they are unless you know who somebody is. Happens to be Zevrain, with whom I'm close. His first cousin was one of the people killed tragically over there. A person has a whole life. And uh, I told Zeb, I said, send me some information. Because he told me out loud it was too much. And um, this is Chaim Rosenberg. It's one of the people with Nifter. When you see the pictures of the books, the swarm that were found, that was his books. His swarm. And uh, as I was writing to me, this whole family, the Rosenberg, Raiden, everything, these are all survivors from the Holocaust, you know, from Hungary. He grew up in Bar Park. His father um, was one of eight five brothers and three sisters, and they all have a bunch of kids, 11, 7, this, that, and the other, this guy, the person who was a victim. No, I'm sorry. And uh, Chaim's parents had one, one child. Okay? And uh, apparently was a wonderful person. Here's the interesting part. He went to Bear Shemuel in Park Park, which means there's no secular education. Uh, you know that. However, uh, he got into stocks, and he became the right hand man of, of, of Steinhardt, yeah, Michael Steinhardt. <laughs> so, so even when Steinhardt far, fired all the other brokers, he kept him. That's a very Jewish story. And um, he was married and was remarried. And um, then his wife. This, I'm just telling you, sharing with you. Here's somebody who, who was uh, crushed in the building. He remarried a few years later. Was married for 13 years. His wife, the second wife, got a brain tumor. Died last year. For three years, he was wheeling her everywhere, gave up his full-time job to take care of her, pushed around a wheelchair at the family weddings, his own children's weddings. Three months before she died, he was already still pushing her around at the weddings. So, she, you know, so that bad is bad enough a tragedy. And then in February 2021, notice this year, in the middle of the corona, his parents died from the corona. So his wife, his folks, and now him. Okay. 
So that means that he was sitting three funerals in one year and three shivers in one year. And Zev is writing, this is before the tragedy happened in. And every shiver, he never let anyone stay for more than two minutes. He kicked him out after two minutes, not wanting anyone to be sad or troubled. Mm. And he didn't have any questions about Amuna, Besimcha, Mr. Gedolios Besimcha. And when he was told about something bad, he said, you're looking at the wrong way. There's a good side to everything. He learned twice a day. I told you before, it was his farm that you saw in that famous picture that they found this farm. Unfortunately, they didn't find the people. And Zev writes that he loved the Erechel in there. And that's the safer that was found in the pile. And he said, in other words, here's just one person. And even though life was filled with challenges I just described, he lived with strong Amuna. He always asked his Rebbe, always asked his Shiloh, and would start out by saying, I'm not complaining, well, I'm just wondering. And he would hear the answer and say, I love you, Hashem. And during his tragedies, whenever anyone asked him, in a minute he turned around and the conversation was about you instead of talking about himself. So it sounds like a very good person. And then tragically, his life was taken. It's a, it's a crazy. So in his memory, we'll do today's uh, talk, uh, which is about, of course, Parsha Zekev. And uh, obviously, once again, it's that part of the long speech of Moshe Rabbeinu. And uh, I told you, it has these rhetorical qualities, rhetoric, right? And the key points that strike me have to do with the fact that Moshe sees he's not dealing with a stable group. The Jewish people are not what you call a stable nation. We still aren't. We still aren't. Maybe it's our plus, maybe it's our minus. And so stable is like a stoic, you know, you have equanimity. You remain the same in good times and in bad. <clears throat> That's not who Kali throws. And so on the one hand, he sees the people are scared to go into the land and fight. <clears throat> and Moshe knows he's not going to be there to lead them. As I told you the last time, Joshua was scared, which is why he keeps having to say Chazak Hamas. And therefore Moshe gives a long speech today, part of Jacob, in which he says, you must have confidence, but then he warns him against overconfidence. He gives like a, a command, you're not allowed to be afraid of the enemy, even though they outnumber you. How can I beat them? And the way you do it is by remembering the history, the miracles that already happened. And so on and so forth. Yeah, the So um, he's giving a whole speech. You will defeat the enemy. When the son of Hashem, uh, he shall In fact, you wipe him out. Okay. The only thing he warns is, you know, don't keep their idols. This is a constant theme in Devarim because you know everybody wants to take home the booty, and the same person who says. I wouldn't go to the store and buy an idol. We'll bring back a trophy or something like that from the war. How many people brought back from the Germans, you know, daggers with crosses on them and things like that? It's a, it's just a, a trophy from the war, especially if you took it off a dead crowd. So uh, he said, don't do that because then you'll keep the idol in the house 
and eventually you start worshipping it, which is interesting. Having then told him, don't be scared, Moshe then shifts the other way, and he says, um, what do you, where is it over here? Zechart is called Derech. Uh, Shamalcha Pentishka, Shamalakechal, Pentocha Visavoto. Once you start winning, then you'll forget God because you're winning. You don't need Him anymore. That's always the way it goes. You dive and you pray, but there's like a basic human frailty in you that I pray and I dive when I'm sick. Today I have, today I'm suffering with the hands down the carpal tunnel junk because of the way I type, I guess. Which all my life I've written books with one finger. You know that's who I am, and. Um, when you're hungry and when you're suffering or hungry, then you daven. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. And you daven for the specific things that you need. It could be food, it could be pernos, it could be a shidduch, it could be anything. That's okay, that's good. The, the, the davening is written that way. But what happens when everything's going well? What happens when everything's going well? He said like this, I don't need to daven. By that I mean like this, everything's fine. You have other people to worry about, Rabbi Shalom. You know, I'm okay. If anything pops up, I'll tell you. I appreciate everything you do for me. That's not the right way. Right? For a whole bunch of reasons. One is, it's not the right way. This is, will get God angry, and then you'll have to daven again. Because you'll, your your fortunes will go bad. But second of all, you'll think you don't need God. Right? So what starts in the beginning as I don't want to bother you, O Lord, turns into I don't need you. See? I'm doing fine. And that itself is a tremendous heresy because what you're saying is the world runs on itself. If you think it through, you wouldn't think this way, but if you think it through, what you're saying is the world really runs by itself unless God intervenes every once in a while. Um, Right now, things are going good my way. So let's just things keep the way it is. Instead of saying that Hashem has to run everything all the time, and if I'm breathing, He's making it happen. If I'm keep, get, keeping money and not losing the money or making more money, it's always because He's making it happen, and so on and so forth. Right? And this is the classic passage where Moshe says, if you will prevail against the enemy after you're uh, uh, lacking confidence against them, you'll end up saying, Kochi v'yosim yori yosoli sechayel Hashem right? So, um, the overconfidence in your success will cause you to forget God. But then he warns you, you'll forget God and go after other gods. That's a different thing. I think the main problem, there are two levels of understanding this. Obviously, there's more than two levels. You can see the speech of Moshe Rabbeinu towards what come across as shallow individuals. He's trying to make them unshallow. Uh, you say, how can you say that the people of that time? Not so simple. It's a tendency now to, to, to retroactively put back our understanding of the people of that time. Love Dafka. You see from Dvarim, if you read it honestly, Moshe deal with basic issues. At least that's how I understand it. And he says, listen, 
Don't be scared, but if you're successful, you should want to maintain a relationship with Hashem. You should want to daven Shemun Esra, as we would say today, um, because because you like to talk to Hashem. This, this is the Dvekas that they talk about, voted book. Dvekas is a mental thing. Can't cling to God physically. The mental has to be by thinking or talking. Okay? Which we generally call prayer. Now, remember, as the Ramam says so famously, at the time Moshe Rabbeinu was talking about, there was no such thing as davening in the formal sense. On the other hand, there was an obligation, that Moshe tells an obligation, that they should communicate with Hashem at least once a day. I repeat, at least. Now, mind you, a person going around with terrible backaches is going to be saying to Hashem, help me, he's going to say all day long. Every time a pain comes, he says, get me out of this. But a person who doesn't have a backache, so when's he going to talk to Hashem? Now, you have to do it at least once a day. Now, it could be minimal, it could be maximal. There's no nusuch, there's no minimum amount of words, and say whatever you want. But precisely for that reason, will people do it? That's what he's afraid about. Okay? That's what he's afraid about. That's the Kokhibiyotsam Yodi that he's speaking about. It doesn't simply mean I'll ascribe it to my power. It's that you'll lose any connection with Hashem. Now, I hate to use that language because it sounds so for me and cliche. Right? But that just goes to show you how far removed we are in American society from these concepts. And and we are, because we're a materialistic society. And again, I'm using that in the philosophical sense, materialism. We, you know, we look for practical things. I'm, I don't mean we're sensualist or hedonist. Materialism means you're focusing on the real. You understand? And the idea of Vekas talking to Hashem, wanting to have a relationship for the sake of having a relationship, these are not very American ideas. American idea is when things go bad, you talk to somebody. And it's not going bad. It's not so necessary. And Moshe says, no, no, no. The word is just interesting. Your heart will go wrong. You'll have exalted opinions of yourself. Uh, one of the most dangerous things in life is overestimating oneself. Isn't that more dangerous than us underestimating yourself? Both are not good. But I'm asking you, which is worse? Which is fatal? Overestimating yourself or underestimating yourself? Um, if you underestimate, you'll miss opportunities. If you overestimate, you'll pick quarrels and things like this, which you cannot win. History is replete with nations and causes that went down stupidly because they overestimated themselves. I mean, American history is not the story of the Civil War. The South said, oh, one Southerner can be ten Northerners. Really? <laughs> really? Look, and then what happened? Then they got handed to them. You see? They don't talk like that. You don't estimate yourself like that. Um, but Moshe's word, is how it goes. And so, He's dealing, as I said before, with an unstable group. I'm afraid once I'm gone, he says, you'll be afraid to enter Israel. When you go to Israel, you'll lack confidence. And when you do finally agree to do the right thing and fight the Canaanites and you win, then you'll start saying, wow, look how gewaldic I am. And you go to pick quarrels. 
and uh, you'll treat God in a way that ain't a smart idea. And then you'll go down the tubes. Um, we have in the Tanakh examples of kings who they won one battle, they got overconfident, and that led to a disaster when they picked somebody that was too big. No, let me put it this way. Suppose Israel had a war. I'm just making this up. Suppose Israel had a war tomorrow with Lebanon. They beat Lebanon. So the next day, they declare war in Russia. <laughs> you get it? Uh, they're not the same thing. This happened uh, in the Tanakh with King Amatia of Judah. In Melachim and Devarim, where he uh, defeated Adam. Yes, he did. Then he picked a quarrel with the king of the north. King Yoash of Israel. And Yoash said, you know, you're like the little bush, uh, the the thorn trying to take on <clears throat> the cedar tree. Just because you beat Edom, don't mean you can beat me. And he insisted and he had a battle and he was destroyed. So that's Rom Right? And that will then lead to idolatry, which is a different sin altogether. Okay? There's a sin called forgetting Hashem or not maintaining a Kesher. And there's a separate sin totally, which is believing in other gods. Now, um, why would one lead to another? Believe you me, the other religions are so calculated that they know how to attract worshippers. You get it? The Jewish religion is a very sober religion. Not too many parties and things like that. The Canaanite religions, wine and women and song. That's just a historic fact. Okay? So, they could get, like, like the Benos Mov and the Balpur, they could get you to do anything. So, to stay with a sober religion is good, but, you know, sobriety doesn't help you drink whiskey. So, um, the Torah system, not going to get you in the party scene. But if you were willing to forget God, then, of course, Hashem will get angry and so on and so forth. Okay? That will happen. And then Moshe switches once again to talking about the battle that's coming. And then what does he say over here? Once you start winning, you'll think you're so righteous. That's just interesting that he saw that in the people. Shema Yisrael Hashem over a yarn You'll be you'll you'll find a great uh, power, uh, and you'll and you'll beat them, right? And Altomer Bavocha, I'm warning you, you might say because you were victorious, is my righteousness that got me here. And because they were so wicked. So I deserved this. As Kuntmir. And Moshe says, It's not because you're so righteous. Here's a basic thing in anti-Semitism. You're a chosen people. Because we're not. Right? I wish we were. Are we so Yosholev, everybody? Is a Jew synonymous with honest dealings? You know, I don't want to get into that. Uh, I've said many times, one of the best lines in Sanson Rainfield Hirsch is he said, if the Jews 
who claimed to be a chosen people, acted righteously all the time, what he calls the Yisrael Mesh, people wouldn't mind the claim of chosen people. When the Jews <laughs> aren't honest, as happens once in a blue moon, um, and nevertheless they claim to be a chosen people, that sticks in people's throat. That makes anti-Semitism. They say, that's disgusting. I don't believe that God would operate that way. Now, mystically, we do believe God operates that way. But you totally hear it. It's infuriating. Here's a guy pulling off a scheme on the government, cheating on this, whatever they're doing. Whatever they're doing. And then he says, oh, we're Alma Nifchar. You understand? Uh, that's a problem. This is one of the most interesting parts of Moshe's speech. It is true that the riches are going, but see, they said two things before. They said, um, and then they said, the second half is actually true. The Canaanites are pretty bad. But the first half is not true. Because Lobitz is Tesla. So then, what is it? Uh, the answer is Laman Hokim is a Dovar Shinish Bashem, Labusech, Lavram Yitzchel Yaakov. Right? It's because it promised him. This is the basis for the famous Rambam versus Kuzri. Somebody asked me this at the Brits this morning. And he said, well, you know, who, who do you side with? Basically, do you think the Jews are genetically different? Or they're not. The Ram said they're not. And the Ram quotes this passage right here in the, um, I guess they guess Taman. Uh, right here. He says, not because we're an Amanivchar, not because we deserve it, not because we're better. But really, it's only because of Avram Yitzhak Yaakov. He said, the passage just read it today in Akev. And he goes on to say, don't. Go around and, you know, fool yourselves. The Jews are actually bad. Okay? So it's got to do with the others. It doesn't have to do with you guys. You guys talk of stink. Right? And Moshe says, this is not me talking. This is Moshe being a partial today. He says, remember the goes off. As you did it. You guys are nothing to boast about. Whoa. <laughs> that is quite a statement. Now, I guess a real from interpretation is Moshe is exaggerating, but I don't think he's exaggerating. You see the puzzle we just read? Zachor al Tishrach, he says, Shir Tzavta Sashem. For 40 years now. This is speech, as we all know, that Moshe is giving shortly before his death. Okay? He's saying for 40 years now, Those I am dealing now, Moshe is saying, not with the older generation, they're dead. They, they finished dying last two above. This speech is given about six months later. So until you got to this, till now, right? And then that leads him off to go on a track. And he talks about the golden calf and the aftermath of the golden calf and the 40 days and the 40 days and the 40 days. This is where it happens. 
But that's like a riff. You understand? Knows what happened. So Moshe go in this long um, description, which is where we get um, the story of forty, forty, forty. Luke Oshnias. This is what happens. It's not really described clearly in um, Shmos. <clears throat> not at all. Go take a look. You rely on what it says over here. And he says, I went up to 40 days, but it's not Paul of Hashem, Karishana, Abraham Yom, Abraham Loyola, Lechem Lochalti, and all this stuff. So, in other words, basically, there was Shavuos, and then 40 days later, you got the, the Ten Commandments, and you made the Golden Calf, and I broke the tablets, and then I had to go up for 40 days to talk God out of killing you, right? It says, Hear from me, many the God said, I'm going to kill everybody. And um, the history is here. Right? And he says, I broke the tablets, but it's not Paul. And I prayed without eating or drinking for 40 days and 40 nights. Because um, God was going to kill you. Um, now, by the way, did you see what he just said? He prayed for another 40 days and 40 nights without eating and drinking. So that's interesting. Hashem obviously endowed him with the miraculous power to go 80 days, not 40, without eating and drinking. Notice the 40 days, let me put it this way. It's like a Hasidic word. I mean that in a good way. The 40 days when he was up there, from Shavuos till Shavuos of Thomas, no. That's a mystical experience. He went into the cloud. He's coming out with Luchos. The Luchos was the Ezebel Akim. The whole thing is a profoundly mystical business, right? Extremely mystical. Yeshmiayim, from nothing comes to Luchos. And what does a cloud mean? Is the Ruchni stick situation? No. So here, as part of that, part of that was the miraculous ability not to eat or drink for 40 days. But the second time was not like that. Second time he's pleading for the Jewish people not to be killed. So that's not such a mystical experience. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Has a different quality. That's a good speech for some enterprising rabbi to give this Shabbos, right? And he describes the second forty days uh, and how he crushed the idol and all the rest of it. And then he has the forty days. Anyway, after. What's the right word? You know, shooting out this this bitter memory. Mamrim heisem imashem miyom datiyasem. You've been bad news since I knew. I mean, he's really letting it out over here. So this is the basis of the Rambam's view that the Jews are no better than anybody else, and in some senses maybe worse. But we don't claim that another nation would not have been more faithful. We don't know. The only thing is that Hashem chose us. He chose us. Whatever it is. As opposed to the other way, the Kuzri way, in which you say, every year come from a special Zera, Adam, Shays, Noah, Shane, you know, the Kuzri. We come from the choice of the choice, and uh, we're superior, you know, uh, genetically, racially, all this kind of stuff. That's not what it sounds like over here. Now, obviously, the, the Kuzri knows the Chumash also. So he's going to say, this is all rhetorical. We get it? No, there's truth, but it's exaggerated. The Ram said, ain't exaggerated at all. Right? You've been bad news and rebellious 
says, I met you. And then he says, I had to go another 40 days. Because the second 40 days, as we all know, which we're about to end now, culminates in Rosh um, Hashel. And that by that time, God was persuaded. As we see in the Parsha today, this you have to do the reading. Um, not to kill the Jews. But then I wanted a Lukoshnias. Now there he's talking about the second 40 days. And then, That's the third set of 40 days. Okay? So, um, Moshe was talking. He kind of lost his temper. Um, once he lost his temper, because he said, don't think you're so righteous and all the rest of it. You want to know something? If you contextualize, and Dvarim isn't a context, what I mean to say is like this. What would lead Moshe Rabbeinu to say, don't think you're so self-righteous? I can only think, Moshe's looking at the, cra- at the crowd of listeners of Klai Yisrael, and he sees a bunch of smirks. And he sees a bunch of people think, and Moshe has to respond to that. So, the Jews can be very infuriating. It sounds like they're overconfident. They feel self-righteous. And Moshe can't stand the self-righteousness because it's not grounded in reality. Don't consider yourself so hot tatsi You've been bad news. Okay? So this is a very, very interesting Parsha. Okay? And of course, he goes on to warn them Famously, you're coming to a country called Israel, which is not like Egypt. Egypt Egypt has water all year long because of the Nile, most years. Israel is going to depend on rainwater, and rainwater will make sure you never forget God, because we all know how it is in Israel. You depend on every drop of rainwater, and a lot of times there's not enough rain, and then it is a bummer, because, you know, where are you going to get the water from? There's no pipelines in those days. There's no pipelines. They didn't have desalination plants, and people didn't walk around with these bottles now, you know, with the, uh, whatever it's called, I forget what they call it, Evian water or something like that, Nivea. you know, they didn't have that. And so, either your local well has water, or you, my friend, are in big stars. You're in big stars. If your local well doesn't have water, doesn't do any good, to 30 miles away is another well. You're going to die. No, this is how life was lived. Okay? And therefore, Moshe goes on to say, immediately after he says over here, I mean, he uses these words. Uh, I'm just, you don't need my just the words here. Uh, it's not like Egypt. You just put... The seed in the ground and move the water with your feet, and you already got irrigation. Instead, Israel harm There's no rivers; it's mountains and and uh, valleys. The matar shmantishon. You're going to depend on rainwater. You're going to need God to look at that. Uh, the language is interesting. How do you translate that? It is a land. Larry Kaplan would say, constantly under God's scrutiny. That's very good. That's right. What does it mean, do ratio so? 
he inquires after its welfare. That's how I would understand it. And now, what does that mean? God runs everything. You're going to feel it when you live in Israel, because it'll be, let's put it this way, it's half the rain you need, and you get, get half. All the rain you need, a quarter of the rain you need, no rain, you know. So much to say, you're going to live in Israel, that will be a school in which you learn Vekas and moon and davening every day. <laughs> you're not going to have the, the advantage that you self-righteous guys have. He said, when things are going good, I won't have to doubt. You're going to daven every day because you're going to need that rainwater. Now, he goes on right after that to do the second paragraph of Shema. Right? The fame, you know, you want the rain? Well, you want the rain? You better be very religious, very spiritual. Right? How do you do that? That's a big demand. Notice, Moshe doesn't say like this. I want to be clear about this. You want rain? You got to keep Shabbos and keep Kashra and Tarsim Mishpachal. That's the way you should read. Right? You want read? Make sure we keep Shabbos. By the way, there are Frumis that have speeches like this in Israel. You want rain? Keep the Shemitah. Keep this, keep that. Like, you know, tit for tat. Moshe says, no. You want rain? That's more than just keeping Shabbos. That's a big demand. Then, and so forth. Uh, the Rambam and all the spiritualists always troubled by this, uh, um, you know, uh, second paragraph of Shema because it sounds like the rewards in life are material and not Olam Haba. Um, this is obviously well known to anybody uh, who's at all familiar with Hilchus Tshuva. Um, is it this ninth chapter where after explaining you know the reward Olam and all that in the ninth chapter the Rambam starts by saying Miachar right it's in Tishmu Chumash is not written in a spiritual way. Chumash is written very down to earth, for grub to way. You want water? You better love the God. You don't love me? I'll give you notes. Like a parent who said like this. I want you to show me that you love me and kiss my feet. You don't do that, I'll give you a penny. Like that. And the Ram goes on to say, well, that's the superficial. Why doesn't the Torah say this is what's bothering the Rambam and all the philosophers? I'm serious now. Why isn't the Torah written philosophically? If you keep the mitzvah, you'll have bliss, you'll have eternal life, you'll have olam haba, you have, uh, you know, Ganadin. Never uses those terms. <clears throat> Speaks very materially, like an American language. You keep, you love God, your stocks will go up, your business will prosper, you'll be able to outbuy your neighbors, you'll build a swimming pool ten times as big, 
That's American talk. You get it? You have the vacation you wanted. Nothing ruchni is in there at all. Um, and the Rambam goes on to say, as he, you know, let me put it this way: there's no good answer to that question. Uh, the Torah should have been written in a more lofty way, one would think. But the Rambam says, "Kol osan advarim emesayim beyu." They're all true. V'sman shosan mitzvah Torah yagilin atovus alam azed kulan. V'sman shana rosam tikkur osan aros aksubas. It is true. They have prosperity. We keep the Torah in our prosperity. Alf became enos and atovus so matan scharn shlemus. But there's higher stuff beyond that. There's higher stuff beyond that. You'll get your uh, olam haba business, right? But Chumash not written that way. You see. It's not written that way. And so, it is strange. And uh, Dram had to always contend with this in his writings. In the Hakdam of the Perkelech. Let, let me put it this way. The statement I just read you from the Ram is not true. What do I mean? Is it really, listen closely. Is it really true? That when the Jewish people were righteous, they had prosperity and peace and all the rest of it. No. There are times when great tzaddikim perished and suffered and this and that and the other. Uh, even though they were being fulfilling So then you start to muddy the whole thing and it get very complicated. So, well, you know, tzaddik is nitvus ba'avon ador and so on and so forth. I mean, according to this, Rabbi Chana Wasserman should have escaped the Holocaust. If you give me an example. Something, something like that. Right? And I guarantee you, if he would have, people say, see, you know, but it, it, it doesn't work like that. There's no tit for tat. There's no, no arithmetical or mathematical, you know, uh, equivalence. Elsewhere, the Ramam tries another stick. In Dr. Perichelic, he said, you know, when it promises you health and prosperity, the health and prosperity will allow you to keep the mitzvahs and get Olam Haba. I mean, you know, I'm, let me put it this way. I've used that word from time to time when necessary. It doesn't sound like the real thing is going over there. That's why the Mukabal and the mystics don't like that. Yeah? They don't like the rationalistic explanation of these life questions. which seem you know, very simplistic to be satisfying. They look for super Ruchnius type of answers, uh, different type of Mahalach. Uh, and I don't blame them. I'm simply telling you that the parsha over here can't be just read, in my opinion, as simplistic nostrums. You do this, you get that. Uh, it's it's heavier and deeper. And Moshe, as I said before, is trying to connect, as far as I can see, with the psychology of the people is in front of him in the audience. And therefore, the words over there are reflecting that. So what I'm concluding with, and what the, the hour is late, so I'm going to end because it's longer than I usually go. Don't think the book of Dvarim, Moshe Ben was like a uh, pulpit rabbi, a good one, who has his speech written out beforehand. I think these are these are things he's getting off his chest, and he's looking at the audience, he's responding to the audience. God says it's a zinger, and therefore I'm going to put it in the chumash. But in the original, it's Moshe Ben talking, and if it sounds emotional. They have to close their eyes and imagine what was Claudius were all like when he was speaking to them. And were they sleeping when he was talking? Were they daydreaming when he was talking? Did they seem smug when he was talking? You get a lot of that. 
especially in parts of Ekev, right? Did they look like they're scared? Did they look like they're overconfident? So your assignment this Shabbos, if you choose to take it, like they used to say, Mission Impossible when I was a kid, was, um, you know, try to figure out what the audience is to whom Moshe is, is responding. I think that's a very, very interesting way of approaching Dvarim in general, uh, the speeches in Parshish Akiv in particular, and uh, it would account for what seems to me a very strong theme of frustration, personal frustration, that comes across in a lot of the speeches, especially in Parshish Akiv. Anyways, just food for thought, and uh, once again, we get uh, we. Uh, will say that uh, all the victims in Surfside and Deb's cousin, all the rest of it, Rosenberg's and Shem Shavalia, it's, it's just a tragedy. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.